trying to get back to the basics of great products. Power comes from sharing information. I try to convince people to slow down. Free. Yeah. Open. This is the Soak Dice Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Business Finland, and this time we're promoting two things we really love, Finland and entrepreneurship. Business Finland has a very interesting service called Startup Kit, which is aimed at helping entrepreneurs interested in Finland with all the nitty-gritty stuff, such as permits, moving to Finland, establishing a company, anything really. Finland has one of the highest rates of investment per capita in Europe and state support for startups to kickstart their success. Finland also has a transparent, equal opportunity and highly functional society with efficient public services and a good market for piloting and scaling your business. What's more, English is a common business language here, as you can hear. Finland can offer this and so much more for anyone interested in Finland. Check out businessfinland.com slash startup kit. You can find the link in the description. And hey, if you end up moving here, let us know and we'll show you around. But now, let's go to the episode. Hi listeners, welcome to this week's installment of Soaked by Slush podcast. My name is Isa Krautio, here's William von der Palen. We're coming to you, not live, pre-recorded from Helsinki, Finland. This was once live, but but not anymore. Yes, this time is this time it's not. It would be cool to try this out live sometimes. But yeah, that's a that's a thought we'll save for later. In this week's episode, we have Sami Martinen from Swapi. Welcome. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks for coming. Yeah, uh, thanks for the invitation. Yes, you're, uh, you're looking very stylish today, I must say. Before we start out, very nice. And uh, uh, do you want to give a short uh, introduction of yourself? Uh, who are you? Sure thing. Uh, entrepreneur, one of the two founders, uh, CEO at Swappy. Prior to founding the company, uh, I've basically been an entrepreneur since I was little. So uh, when I was 15, I was I was founding a company with my father, construction business. Was running that with him for 10 years. Prior to that, I, I used to do, I, I did I did other things like uh, for ex- for instance, asking my uh, mom to take jobs for me when I was underage. So I could start working sooner, and yeah, done a plenty of plenty of stuff. Also, also doing my studies at Aalto University School of School of Business. How much of an outlier were you uh, asking your mom to get you jobs in in uh, in opposed to being in reverse? What do you think in your in your close circles? Very much so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Don't don't know any any other other people from my from my closer circles who did it. That's yeah. interesting. And then uh, recently, quite recently, uh, four or five years ago or so, you, you founded uh, Swapi. Could you maybe give a short introduction to the listeners what you're all about? Sure. So what Swapi does, we buy, completely refurbish and sell iPhones. Yeah. It's always a good business idea if you can, you know. It, it takes 10 seconds to explain to people what you do. Yeah, that's really good. Sometimes you hear these like three minutes we do this, and then we have this business model about you buy phones, used phones, and sell them, sell them to people. It's yeah, sell them simple. like uh, functioning like new. Yeah, that's with the, a guarantee, that's, right? Exactly. That's that's the core thing. Like it's very different to sell used phones than selling refurbished, like completely refurbished ones. And that's what we noticed also in the in the early days when we started the company was that like uh, it started based on an, based on my own experience of getting scammed on a, on a C2C marketplace 
Right. So so then on the on the next day we went out on the street with the, with the other company founder Jiri and just started asking people like how big of a problem is this but then we actually realized that there's a much larger issue in what comes to buying phones in general that you know there's there are some like really similar trends that that existed in the 1980s 1990s in the used car market so back in the days it used to be a market where 10% of the cars were were bought as used or fixed and these days it's a, it's a 50-50 ratio in the in the states for instance and some some reasons behind it are are for instance like uh rising prices of the devices and then like uh uh you know slower technological progress like uh, saturation of the technology in a way yeah right because smartphones haven't existed that long yet so it's, yeah. it's something that's lagging behind a little bit yeah yeah and uh yeah so it it uh, arose from a something it's quite typical isn't it that you you get scammed or you have a, a bad experience but then quite a few or not many people actually then take action and do something about it but uh so you ask you ask people and you you realized it and and did you found the company pretty much right away or or how did that happen we were actually running a business like we ha- we had been running a few businesses actually prior to Swappy so we yeah one could call us serial entrepreneurs and so it was really obvious when we found this problem when 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 we once we noticed like how big of a problem it is like actually what comes to buying phones in general so that actually most people would be ready to shift towards buying refurbished or used ones right if they just if they just knew that they were that the phones were actually functioning like new devices so then you would have on cheaper prices the same warranties and the same benefits of buying buying a new device so that 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 was something bigger that that we were thinking about so we went on it uh, on exploring it right away and i would say around half a year and a lot of trials later we decided to like uh, put full focus into it and leave everything else behind I guess I have one more question about the smartphones themselves before we get into the nitty-gritty of the company. Like, how how close to a new phone can you get by refurbishing it? Actually, like uh, really close, or even better. Like in in many ways, like uh, if you think about, for example, a manufactured like uh, some phones that are manufactured like defected in the manufacturing process in a way that. For example, audio IC faults or some motherboard level issues that come in the manufacturing. Once you fix those, we have developed the lab where we can we can actually make those stronger than the original ones. So once we rebuild the data lines, that the same the same faults will 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 basically never come back again. Wow, that's great. You, it's gone pretty well. Uh, with Swappy recently, I uh, I think we have it written down here. Uh, you in one year you grew two hundred and seventy three percent, and I guess uh, do you want to just start running through the story of how how did you achieve this the growth you have uh, noticed in in a, I guess a, quite a few years. It hasn't been that many years when Swappy has been operational. No, it was it basically we started in late twenty sixteen. And in 2017, around midway through the year, we decided to go all in into this, and uh, now now it's been just three years since then. Wow, 
Yeah, and, and your revenue last year was already like maybe to give some background also to the listeners, you can grow three hundred percent, but it can be from one hundred thousand right. and you know, but your revenue is all already plus thirty million, right? From from last year. Yes, exactly. So basically if we think about kind of like just the past two years, like uh in January twenty eighteen we were just four people in the company, now we're over three hundred. And same thing like uh, revenue-wise, we've basically grown, uh, grown uh, from zero to thirty-one million in the first uh, first three years. Yeah, that's pretty insane. What do you think are are some of the biggest enablers of that growth? What's what's gone right for you? I would say like uh, right from starting the company, like being obsessed about customers, being obsessed about the customer experience and what we're actually building. And that's something that's in the DNA of us as founders, what everything everything we've done in the past. But definitely the number one thing has been finding the right people. Everything starts from the people. And that's how I see it. That it's it's in the particular order that like when you first you need to have the right people, then the right strategy. Once you have the right people, you can create that, right? And then it then comes execution and cash. Yeah. But in that order, I would say that's where, where we have been the most successful. And that's something you quite often hear that you should get the right people, but quite often it's left at that also that, okay, you, you know, it's easy to say to get the right people, but how do you actually, what what are some of the factors around that to, to actually get to to hire or even find the right people? That's a really tough one. <laughs> like uh, before you go into hiring anyone, you need to at some some level know like what you are hiring for. So that's that's where you that's where like uh, based on discussions with other other growth companies and other startups, will where a lot of firms go south. That you don't really know well enough what kind of traits, what kind of competencies you should be looking for. Uh, and and it changes over time. That's really natural. Like uh, when it, when you are a four people startup, you need to hire kind of like more generalist kind of people who can do everything from <laughs> supply to demand to like for instance myself handling everything from accounting, finance, supply, then actually doing the testing of the phones myself, bringing those to customers with a bus or with a bike <laughs> during the first weeks and purchasing those from like people's homes because you know we we had no cash to uh, we had no cash or no funding to run the business at scale in the really first days so you need to need to have really flexible pool of people as your first hires especially if you're going on a, on a on a shoestring budget and then once you grow the further you grow the more structure you need and the more kind of like uh, t-shaped t-shaped people and more specialist kind of roles and that's what you need to be extremely good at you need to know where your company is heading otherwise you're going to make a lot of mistakes there and that that will will be seen in the culture and everything you do at what point did you start uh, identifying growth factors in the company and what were they um definitely like uh growth was like was and has been one of the key focus areas as well without that you you will have nothing like uh, you need to grow extremely fast especially if you're 
you're running a startup and you are living on funding. So when you have only a few months of runway left, you need to grow. Otherwise, you won't get the next funding round and you'll die. So basically, <laughs> that has been one of the key focus areas since day one. And uh, and and I would say, like uh, as I as I said in the beginning, being obsessed about customers is definitely that. So you need to be in really close connection with your target group. When finding the product market fit, you need to gather data from the field all the time. When you're when you're going from zero to one, it's much more like uh, you won't have the numbers. So you need you need you need to gather qualitative data and then the data from public sources and other sources that are available. But when you're creating a new market, as as we have been doing like, and changing customer behavior in this space. Um, it hasn't been so easy, especially in the in the early days. We didn't have a lot of public data available in the market, so so then you we we needed to make assumptions on the uh, on the interviews and and everything with with smaller sample sizes. Yeah, that's something that we actually wanted to touch uh, upon a bit is the category creation thing that it's very often said that it's maybe not the best thing to be the first mover because you make all the mistakes and, and now you're creating a kind of a new market. You you have had the used phone markets, but you, you talk about the refurbished phones. So do you, do you see a threat here that someone will, you know, just, you know, copy you and, and, and put more money into it and, and run, run by you? Or do you think the market is big enough for, for many players? Or how, how do you even approach this, this dilemma? Because you know, it's something that hasn't existed before, as you said. Yeah, it's definitely big enough for many players, and and in, and in a way, uh, it's an execution game, and that's what I like about it. <laughs> like, uh, frankly, frankly said, like when you have, once you have the best uh, capabilities, best talent in your team, you you shouldn't be too worried about that. Like, um, there is not much we can patent here, so so you cannot be too worried about the competition. You cannot be like, of course, you cannot be arrogant. Like, uh, in a way. Uh, Paranoid optimist is uh, is a good word word when like or a good phrase when when thinking about it. Like you need to keep your eyes open, eyes open for any threats in the market, anything that might might be out there, and always look out for the kind of like uh, better, more innovative services in the market and other companies out there. But you cannot really worry about it too much. And when when it, when we are at uh, fro- like uh, front runner. And growing as fast as we are, like at the moment, three to four x still year over year, still kind of like uh, from these numbers, it's 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 gonna take a few years for for anyone to catch us, in a way. And and the market is also big enough for multiple players. So, if you that that growth, so you you're gonna be able maybe to sustain that kind of growth rate even still. Uh, you just raised some some new funding, quite a big round, so you should have the, the have the cash, but maybe looking into the more specific ways of, of growing. It's probably something that's very interesting for many people running their own companies on, online. You're an online business, basically, purely. Uh, so um, what are some of the strategies you have used to to achieve, you know, more specifically, like, to, to actually, where do you acquire users and how do you think about that, that kind of um, things? Sure. So... Yeah, once you're growing from zero to one, it's really simple. Like uh, back in the days, it was just uh, you just try out some marketing. You can ev- even like uh, I like I like some of the 
uh, some of the examples of how how Airbnb started, for instance, back in the days, and how they kind of like uh, hacked Craigslist in a way, just put their advertisements out there. Once you're going at basically <laughs> at the shoestring budget with no funding, we did a lot of similar things back in the days when acquiring the first users, and then listened to all the feedbacks from them. So we could improve the service as fast as possible. Now, when when you when you have when, once we have found the product market fit, now it's more about like uh, we need to think we need to constantly think to what markets we need to go and how fast we need to grow there, how how fast we need to find the product market fit. You need to plan a lot in advance, like and and not just like. Uh, a few months, but much longer cycles because you need to also have the right hires in at the right at the right time and all the like gun charts and everything everything else ready. So it's it's very different. Uh, what comes to marketing and user acquisition? That's that's yeah, that's done uh, mostly online. Use uh, social media mostly, or do you also yeah mostly online? So not that much of like these bigger brand awareness things. That it's more tactical, more measurable you know you put one euro in you get hopefully more than one euro out well there is the brand awareness factor as, as well that you cannot create a category without without being be, without being really good at that so but that can be done online you, that can be done through radio tv of course like uh, outdoor display ads and, and 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 everything else but but that can be done online as well like uh, through facebook youtube you know, you name it. So, and also through good podcasts, I hear. Yeah, I so. think so. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> that's a great, great point. The Airbnb thing was interesting. Can you talk a bit more about uh, sort of stories or benchmarks you had from before, who you looked up to, or what examples you used uh, to sort of assist, assist you in this in this path? Uh, multiple of those, I would say. Like uh, the best person to really talk about the really nitty gritty stuff, what comes to growth hacking, would be the other company founder Jiri, who's who's, uh, oh, who's, yeah? who's done most of this in the in the early days. I would He's say. also welcome to show up here at some point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that's that's just one example. We've done a lot of that, and it's not just like benchmarking to other companies, but it's just always when you have a problem, we have we have this like, habit of not just looking at how other people do it, but also think outside the box, like what possible ways do we have to reaching any given goal that we have? And it's the same, it, it applies to every everything that we have done, like uh, from the Airbnb example to, for example, when we opened our first, we actually have a physical store as well in, in Helsinki. And it's, uh, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a legacy thing. It's really good, like uh, customer uh, customer service, trade in a way in this market and in this city and, and a great way to gather like customer feedback. But also uh, in the early days, uh, the first warehouse was was basically at my home and uh, and and then the classic like uh, basement story in the really early days. And But when we hired our first employees, we actually needed an office. So we thought like, why not try a store at the same time? And how, how does that work in this business? And how, how much faster we could like... Uh, build trust around our brand and gather customer feedback. Yeah. Do you see that there's some benefit to sort of imprinting yourself into reality in some sense by having a having your image on the street and having that human to human connection? I would say especially in the in the early days when once you once we once you you were so small it's really hard to gather like even quanti uh, I mean qualitative feedback just by purely calling and it's it's um 
you get you get to much closer and deeper level when people actually visit your store and just hang out for a while and you can gather much deeper feedback in a way in a way but yeah some examples from there where that uh, we couldn't find a constructor to build a wall there like really oh. like simple you know <laughs> start of things uh, because the like floor was uh, how much is it like 15 meters high so so you couldn't like uh, build proper support there so so then over the next weekend uh, i was looking at videos on youtube how to build a wall <laughs> and uh, <laughs> just googling it and after the weekend it was done and on the next weekend uh, i built i built a desk there with the same i couldn't find anything on google but then i just draw it on the paper and went to <laughs> went to buy all the supplies and because you didn't you couldn't find anything that fits there and that's I would say it describes the mentality that we've had. Yeah, I think um, that can do can do attitude is probably yeah. something that's pretty good to have uh, yeah. for any entrepreneur. But it seems like like many people founding companies have that illusion that you can be really big right away, or you can do anything online. It's very easy, just you know, you press the button. But then, for instance, Reid Hoffman talks about this, uh, which was true also for Airbnb. Was this first 500 fans and and that you get the first people or 100 fans in that really love your product and and talk about it to everyone and and how you should acquire them manually and and you can't expect just to start running cold ads and and you know people will fly in. Sure, some companies probably have maybe made that happen, but for most people, it's probably about that attitude that you that you talked about. Yeah, and you need to do do things that don't scale in the beginning as well. Yeah. What about venture capital and and the role of venture capitalists in your in your growth? Obviously, you've needed cash to to grow that fast. But what kind of other uh, upsides or downsides has has there been to to working with VCs? We will hope that your VCs don't listen to this episode. So you can talk freely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can definitely talk freely here. Uh, in 2015, actually, when we when we founded the company. Uh, We just left our consulting sum- summer jobs and uh, my, for for instance, for myself, my job at the bank, and then like all the like voluntary duties that I had besides school. And for Yeri, it was like his job at the marketing agency, just for an idea. And we didn't raise any capital in the beginning. So actually, for the first half a year, we went with our own savings. We just wanted to learn and try out like uh, a lot of things. We were really had like passion for this and. Then, like it came a bit kind of like out of a sudden. We had already tried multiple different business concepts, <laughs> and uh, and then we met Ville Vesterinen, um, who was who was back then uh, an investor at at Reactor Ventures, and then we just we were just borrowing some ideas. We haven't hadn't really founded like. Uh, what we want to do yet but they liked our approach of kind of like the y combinator y combinator style uh, like like you know mentality of uh, failing fast like build measure learn and you know fail fast and and quick iteration cycles and, and what we were doing and like with the bit even with the business concept the concepts and that level that level so they just basically threw out the question what would you do if we if we gave you 55k And how much faster could you test, test and try out things? So, so we actually did that in in 2015. But then with that 50, 55k, we we went on for the next two years. And so it wasn't really like uh, it wasn't our primary like primary uh, goal to raise venture capital. 
so we we then survived so long just like on the student loans and savings and we wanted to spend the cat uh, vc money into trying things as quickly as you can and once we have founded it and one, once we had bootstrap it bootstrapped uh swappy to how much was it 200k net revenue per month that that was when we raised our first like actual proper round in in 2018 January so yeah it's it it has been a lot of <laughs> downs in in the first two years as well i would say you know, living uh living on on a shoestring budget and on noodles <laughs> hopefully not anymore yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, what is the how is the as an entrepreneur how is the your sort of um, how has the company not culture changed but yeah how is running the company changed after this sort of practically the day to day and uh, I'm not trying to press too much, like get into the negatives of the thing, but like, are there any compromises even that you've had to make or has it been mostly positive? I would say mostly positive. Like, uh, of course, the role, I would say the biggest change, as he, as he also asked, uh, like phrased in the question in a way, has, has been the like uh, change of the role. So, so in the really early days, when you had uh, under 50 people, the role was very, very operational and just like... Uh, on like when when like when we grew from four people to fifty people, that happened in the first half a year after raising the first funding round. And you know, like when you look at those numbers, like in the first year after raising like a seed round, growing from uh, four people to sixty people, and then over the next year go growing growing to two hundred, you need to adapt really quickly. And and I would say. One of the most important traits, or one of the most Im- one of the toughest challenges, also in a way, has been that you need to, um, <laughs> you need to hire, you need to, you, you cannot have too much ego in the game, and you need to ha- constantly hire people who are smarter than you. But that also means, like, uh, giving away some of the things you are actually good at, because you just you just find smarter people who are much better than you. So <laughs> that has been, of course, I, I would say, like. Uh, probably for us as founders but also for a lot of early employees also it's not always easy but that's something you have to do and then you you, you just need to learn into your new roles because it that it, it changes all the time and you're already present in in quite many international markets as well maybe if we touch upon that a bit um how do you you know determine markets and and what have been the some of the you know, has it been easy to internationalize, or has there been some been some um, challenges along the way? Uh, when we when we started started the firm, we knew that like uh, Finland is such a small market, even in this space, that we need to go abroad basically immediately. So so that's that's how we started. So to Sweden, we we went just we went to Sweden mainly because it was it's one of the easiest markets in a way to enter from Finland. Uh, we have a lot of Swedish speakers here and so on. But then after that, we we made this uh, kind of like expansion research all over Europe. So so we were looking at the kind of like um, uh, GNI metrics and and everything and and everything else like like data on the market like which which markets are the most appealing in this in this space and the hypothesis on that but then actually we we didn't enter the number one market on the list we went to one of the toughest markets instead 
even even after doing the research and we decided decided to go to Italy because we knew that like if you want to be a number one player in the world in this business in this space you need to enter tougher, some tougher markets first and not necessarily the easiest or the most appealing ones so we knew that even if we would fail we would learn so much faster in one of the toughest e-commerce markets than we would do anywhere else so that was the number one reason in the early days and but after that we, when we noticed that this kind of like the playbook that we built around it around it it works anywhere when you just adapt kind of like the right things in the in the market market pick model and in the kind of like uh, in the early stages of any market in the research stage you already kind of answered what would have been my next question. Uh, I think we, I met you at last year at Slush. We had a short chat about this. It was very interesting. I talked to you about this interna- internationalization. And I think I asked you, what are some of the differences between the specific countries? And what do you sort of look for? What are the preconditions and the projections uh, before you go in? Uh, and um, you mentioned Italy then. Uh uh, but now you said you had a playbook. So how much of sort of this expansion goes I- according to that playbook? And what are some of the things or have been some of the things that you've been looking for that have been different uh, in, in various countries? Yeah, I would say like uh, some of the biggest learnings have been like, for instance, when we went to Sweden, we thought that we would open a physical store there. But then actually we noticed that the real estate market in Stockholm is a, is a lot harder than it is in Helsinki. So then we had to had to find other ways of building the trust trust there. So we actually changed the playbook. So that has that that has happened a lot along the way. A lot of failings, a lot of learnings. And for for Italy, one for for instance, uh, one one of the things you need to look at as an e-commerce player or as a marketplace is payments for instance so we noticed that uh cash and delivery is is one of the one of the key payment methods in the market and uh yeah that has <laughs> that caused a lot of uh headaches headaches there in the early days but then we we found a way around it and and some some other like really really nitty gritty things like for instance like uh when localizing your checkout in some markets, you just realize that in Italy, people just don't trust certain external, like certain payment providers, or or they they have hard like it's it's really it's it's a lot harder to build the trust into anything. So you need to you just need to validate everything in the market, no matter almost no matter matter what research you have <laughs> uh, prior to entering. So you need to be really close in that, really closely test everything in your site and everything you do when localizing the service, especially in the tougher markets. Do you have like certain things you always do? Do you since you're an online store, so do you need to to hire locally right away? Do you hire before you open? Do you test ads you know from from your office in Finland you start running some test ads in Italy and see if if there is the kind of interest uh, you see or, or how do you go about that typically we 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 do open hires uh, around at the same time when we when when we start testing a market but typically we all we already before we hire someone we already know whether the country works or not so we can run that from here yeah, that's one of the advantages maybe then of being being online. You can test quite cheaply basically yeah. anywhere in the world from just sitting at the office. So Exactly. And we do have the advantage of having uh, 30 chef, 37 nationalities here at our, at our office in Finland. 
we've hired people from all over the world. We've had a lot of people moving here just for just for Swappy. That's cool. That's great. Yeah. When talking about online stores, you know, you always hear that you should optimize, you know, less churn and and you should make a secure checkout and you should have, you know, lots of stuff should go on. But what are some of the biggest things you've learned about creating, you know, a working and, and trusted internet brand that actually works? Well, I'd say the, the most important thing for us has been uh, not not as much optimizing the the e-commerce or the site. Uh, I'd say that the biggest learning has been how to actually optimize the optimize and localize the service in the early days before you even build anything. So that has been more of our more of our approach. Like first, actually figure out what your customers need in any given market before you build and start building on your on your earlier hypotheses. And that's how you, in the end, then also build a functional site that actually serves the customer's needs. So a bit of a different approach yeah. in a way. Yeah, I think that's all refreshing also in a way that, again, if you don't you know, talk to someone or you don't have a good customer experience, but you have a great site, but the product is not what the customer wants, it doesn't really matter if the site is good or not, no one will still buy it. So. How do you see sort of Swappy as a bigger picture in the smartphone market in general? Like, do you see it changing uh, the way the smartphone market works uh, at large, even globally? Um, that's big. This is that's a, a big this question. Is, yeah. this, is, this is a this is a really big one. Yeah. Uh, we are definitely doing that already in all of the markets where we are. So we are now. We grew into being the largest player in the refurbished and used smartphone market in Finland. During our first year, just the two of us, the two founders, and our first two employees. So, so we can we actually achieve that quite quickly in any of the markets we enter, and we have grown the market, uh, the refurbished and smartphone market in every market we have uh, in Finland and Sweden multiplied the market size. So yes, we are changing the behavior, and most of our customers are actually the ones who uh, are buying used or refurbished for the first time ever. So it is it is huge. If we continue to grow at scale, we will we will be changing the entire like the way people consume consume uh, smartphones or the way in the longer term the way people buy electronics and how they how they see that. So we are we are we are build, uh, bringing uh, refurbished mainstream. Yeah, it's kind of a good segue for the maybe last question that we'll probably be asking a lot of the entrepreneurs who who come on the show. But what's kind of your is this um, B hag? So you have like big hairy audacious goal. So what's kind of like you know D goal for for Swappy? If you if you could choose anything, where are you kind of going with the with the company? Say we are looking to be, and 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 I think we we have a really good shot at at being the the number one player in the in the refurbished electronics field. I noticed you said electronics Global. and not not just uh, iPhones, so it's even more hairy and audacious than it than it is right now. Yeah, I would say like uh, the smartphone focus, it's it's really key for us and and especially and around the smartphone segment, iPhone focus at the moment. But nobody knows where the market is heading in the longer term. The demand might switch from iPhones to elsewhere. 
And and for us, one of the key uh, success factors also has been that we have built the like R and D department, so we can basically we can crack kind of like the issues and faults of any of any device you manufacture. We could like we could even manufacture smartphones of our own with the people we have in the company. So once you have those capabilities, you can really go to you can march to any fields or any categories you want. So there again, we we are listening to the customers and where the market is heading. Yeah. So that's why I'm talking about electronic, like our refurbished electronics, at the moment, uh, smartphones and and within smartphone category, iPhones are the biggest segment. So yeah, you kind of have a good brand also for that. You're not called refurbishediphones.com. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Exactly, it gives you some some leeway also for the future. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thank you show. so much, Summer. Yeah, it's been it's been a pleasure. Great pleasure. Thank you. And to everyone watching or or listening, remember to to subscribe for for more episodes. There will be one equally great episode every week. So do subscribe and comment and stuff like that. See you later. Bye. I hope you enjoyed your visit to that conversation as much as we did. Now. If you want to stay updated and keep in touch with us, please subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcast and all other podcast platforms. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and then Facebook. You guessed it, Soap by Slush. Thank you, people, for listening. Bye bye. <laughs>